Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Beat. Morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Baseball Beat. I'm Mike Carter, hosting my first time alone, as Carlos and Chris are busy with other bigger priorities today called family. It's a dreary day here in the Midwest, but spring training is in full swing, positional battles and my coffee brewing, injuries mounting, and fantasy baseball drafts happening all over. With me today to bring a ray of sunshine, play on the word ray, is Andrea from at Scout Girl Report on Twitter to talk about the always interesting Tampa Bay Rays. She's one of the best follows in baseball on Twitter at Scout Girl Report, and you should be following her if you are not. Some of the stuff that she does is some of the most unique stuff that we see on Twitter in fantasy baseball. Andrea, how are you this morning? I'm good. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me on. We're really excited to have you. You know, I meant that what I said. We were talking a little bit before we started recording about your work and and how you got started and all this stuff. And my first experience of your work going back a few years now was your arbitration case on Ryan Yarbrough. What inspired you to do that? It was really brilliantly done. Thank you. I was just looking for a way to meet more baseball fans. And I thought Twitter would be a great way to do that. And I was struggling at the time to, I guess, meet anyone. I only mm-hmm. had like 80 followers and I just really wanted to break in a little bit. So I was thinking of unique things to do a video on and no one really talks about arbitration. So I dove into that, like what that looks like. I read the the MLB CBA, all that stuff. And I ended up coming up with a video. Well, the MLB CBA must be riveting stuff to read, huh? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> That's really cool. How did you first get interested in, in baseball and then subsequently playing fantasy baseball? Sure. When I was young, I actually didn't like baseball that much, but my older cousin told me that I needed to root for baseball. He played in high school. You know, he was a little kid that enjoyed it a lot. And I just assumed I was a Yankee fan, but he <laughs> talked he talked me into becoming a Rays fan. He like brainwashed me. We picked the last place team in the division and we just rooted for them. And so he taught me the game and then it just happened naturally. Like I would play fantasy with my friends. The problem is I didn't have that many friends that liked baseball, so they were questionable <laughs> in terms of their fantasy talent level. But that's how it started, and it just spiraled from there. How many how many leagues do you play in, if you don't mind sharing that? I haven't played in a couple of years now, because last year I wasn't allowed to when I was with the Yankees. So I'm a little out of the game. So just one. Just yeah. One. yeah. <laughs> okay, that's cool. Well, that's good. Yeah. I mean, I mean, your focus is probably really good on it. I hope so. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know a lot of... A lot of people end up who get into the industry end up getting a lot of invites to play and then you're playing in a dozen leagues and you can't maintain everything. So I know for me this year, for me this year, one of the things that I really was trying to do was limit my exposure in fab for two reasons. Number one, I am terrible at fab, probably the worst fab player, you know, I say, I say that to everyone (laughs) that comes on. And the second reason is that it just takes so much time to manage on a Sunday afternoon when I've got family priorities and work stuff going on. I really had to limit my exposure there, but that's really cool. You want to talk a little bit about the work that you did with the Yankees? Sure. I was a baseball operations associate, so it was a one-year contract, and I just like rotated through different tasks. I started out helping with arbitration, and then I did a lot of like player evaluation at the pro level and prospects, and then... Uh, 
I did a lot of like daily tasks and things like that. Advanced scouting, which is just like if we're about to face a team, I helped prepare notes for like strengths and weaknesses. And then that like escalated a lot in the playoffs, looking at like trying to find little things to take advantage of. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's, it must be fascinating and exhausting, I would imagine. Yes, but it's, you know, when you're doing something you're passionate about, it's not, it doesn't feel exhausting. It feels like fun, but it, it is a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, it's a, you do amazing stuff. And I, I'm sure that the Yankees really benefited from the stuff that you were doing. So that's really very cool. Thank you for sharing. And thanks for coming on with us today. We, we're going to really be focusing on Tampa Bay. And Tampa, I think, is always one of the more fascinating teams to look at in MLB, just for a variety of reasons. I mean, I think the way that they go about their business is really interesting. They always seem to be kind of on the cutting edge, you know, the front end of of trends and things as they kind of go through. But they're also a really good team. And I think that gets lost a lot with the the narrative, I think, that they're always experimenting, doing things. But they also win a lot of games. So we're going to ask you some questions about you know, the Rays and, and where you kind of see them going this year. So a lot has been made so far early on in spring training about the rotation and it seems pretty well set for them. In fact, it might be the best rotation they've had in a number of years with McClanahan, Springs, Rasmussen, and Eflin. But my question for you is who gets that fifth spot, do you think, coming out of spring training? I know that they also have some injuries, if you wanted to talk a little bit about that as well. Sure. So Glasnow is injured. He's expected to return, I believe, mid-April. Shane Boz is injured. I'm not entirely sure when he's expected to return, but I think later in the year at the earliest. Um, and I go back and forth about this, like about that fifth spot, because the Rays really haven't had a traditional rotation in a long time. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if they're even going to bother with the fifth starter. Uh, it might not be needed right out of the gate based on their schedule, though I don't think they have too many off days at first. Um so they've got three guys on the 40 that I think can like do a spot start here and there, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't feel confident in saying like, okay, just this one guy is going to get those spots until Glasnow's back. So I think it's between Yanni Chirinos, Luis Patino, and Josh Fleming. I think Chirinos is the leading candidate, but he missed a lot of time the past two seasons. He was recovering from Tommy John surgery. Mm-hmm. And when he came back, he made a spot start last year and then another appearance. And I think it was only like seven innings, but he did pretty well seems like he'll get a chance to start out and then we'll see if they just do it based on matchups or if they do a bullpen day or there's a, a number of things that they could do there. Sure. Torino seems like a guy that they were pretty high on before the injury, right? I mean, it, it would seem like logical that he would get an opportunity to be on the team this year and, and be productive. I mean, I hope so. I am a big Torino's fan. So I hope that he does get that opportunity to start at least a couple of times. For sure. Now, here's a question for you on glass now, follow up on that. Where are you value, valuing him for drafts this year? I mean, I've, I've seen him going anywhere from still around pick 100 all the way down back to like 250. Where do you where do you value him for fantasy drafts this year? I would still value him pretty highly. So I, I mean, he is he's not throwing six to eight weeks, I believe, which is mm-hmm. not that bad. And when he came back from injury last year, he did pretty well. Yes. So I think he'll be fine. I would feel comfortable taking him. If he's the best remaining starter, I wouldn't worry about the injury and just stash him. Okay. Well, I'm doing it now. So thank you for telling me. (laughs) (laughs) I've always been really high on him. I think a lot of players have always been high on him. It's just the injuries that get him down. He's he's got the stuff to be able to be a dominant starter in the league. He's proven that already, right? So Yeah, absolutely. So moving out of the rotation, moving on to maybe the most divisive player in fantasy baseball. 
in Wander Franco. I always tell Torres and Carlos this. I think that Wander Franco is one of those guys that is an amazing baseball player in real life, but might be a little bit overvalued in fantasy. Can you talk a little bit about where you, you know, do you believe in where he's being drafted? Do you think that the, the hype is there? I mean, he's getting drafted within the top 100 players, sometimes in the top 80. And there's other options around there that seem like they're just as enticing, if not more. What's your take on Wander Franco? I'm, I will say I'm biased because I am a big believer in Franco and his ability. Uh, I, I mean, last season made me a little nervous because he was out with the hamstring and the handmate. He missed half the year, I think. But I mean, if he's healthy, I definitely think that he's someone that's worthy of that spot mm-hmm. uh, in the draft just because he's got the power. He has the bat to ball skills. He has a good eye. So not too many strikeouts. He'll walk again. Mm-hmm. He could, you know, hit for average and power. So. Yeah, I expect a big season from him. So you think he could hit 20 to 25 home runs pretty easily? Uh, maybe. Not that many? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, yeah. I mean, we'll see. I, I'm so unsure like what to predict this year with like the shift ban and like all yeah. these other factors. But yeah, I think he can. That's awesome. I mean, I think yeah. I think if he gets to that, that spot, then the hype is worth it, right? I mean, yeah. I, we know he's a really good hitter. We know that he's got incredible batting eye. We know that he's got incredible hitting skills. I think just from a fantasy perspective, if he's only given you 10 to 12 home runs and 10 to 12 steals, that there are other options later on that can give that to you and it might be better served taking somebody else in that round there. But I'm also willing to be swayed and I'm going to be watching really carefully because the guy is really fun to watch. I mean, he can really hit. There's no doubt about that. So he's a really interesting player, I think, for a lot of, of fantasy guys this year and girls and anyone else who's playing. Brandon Lau. Uh, Big time power guy a couple of years ago, you know, upwards of 40 home runs. I think he had 38, 38 or 39 two years ago. What are you, what's your take on him this year? Do you think that he's going to bounce back? I mean, it seems like the Rays are really expecting him to bounce back. I was secretly hoping that the White Sox were going to be able to get a trade for him in, in the fall, but that never materialized. I didn't think that they were asking a lot for him as they, I feel they should. How do you feel about Brandon Lau this year? I'm a little lower on Lau and I always have been than I think everyone else. He's got a little more of an injury history than Franco, but they're all different injuries. So, like, I wouldn't be worried about something reoccurring. But he's got, I mean, good power, good hard hit rates, but he doesn't have the bat-to-ball skills. Like, he has a lot of whiffs, mm-hmm. low zone contact. I think he'll bounce back from last year and or two years ago, but I don't think he's going to hit 39 home runs sure. again. <laughs> yeah, I think that that might have been an outlier, right? That might have been the career year there. And he does swing and miss an awful lot. I've been getting him in a lot of places as my middle infielder target. And I feel like that's okay. I don't know how I would feel about him as the quote unquote starter for my fantasy team, but I think I'm willing to take the risk with where he's going that if he can give me 20 to 25 home runs, I'd be really, really happy with it there. But you're right. I mean, I think that there's a lot of things there. And And the injury history with him seems to kind of fly under the radar a little bit. You know, people don't seem to talk about it as much and they really should be. Yeah, I think they risk. should be. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Randy Orozarena is another guy that I think is sort of, I don't, I feel like he's kind of underrated in fantasy. Like I feel like he should be going higher than what he does. And, and I, in some of the industry drafts that I've been in, I'm starting to see him get pushed up a little bit. To me, this is a guy that is going to pretty sure, assuredly give you 20 home runs and 20 stolen bases and a decent average. Why do you think some people are down on Randy Orozarena? Also because last year there was like a bit of a downward trend in like the components of his offensive profile. So like he wasn't walking as much. He was chasing a lot more. 
And just historically, like his bat to ball skills haven't been incredible. Like I, mm-hmm. I think there is a narrative around him since that like one playoff run that he did amazing that right. he could just slap anything into play and it falls for a hit. It's actually not true. Mm-hmm. And he like struggled a bit with that over his career, but it did improve a, a little bit last year. But I think that like, he's a line drive hitter primarily. He can get some home runs here and there, but I think he's going to benefit from the shift ban quite mm-hmm. a bit. Mm-hmm. So I would be a little higher on him, cautiously higher than last season. It always feels with him that there's another level there, right? I mean, whether there is or not, I mean, I know narratively we can, you're really good at putting the numbers and crunching that stuff to figure that out. And I look at the narrative because I'm not nearly as bright as you are to look at the, and I look at the narrative and I say, wow, just look, you look at the guy and you think there's another level there. This guy could really be an upper echelon top five outfielder in the game. You know, if, if you really kind of, figured out some of those other things, but the talent seems very, very real there to me. So uh, one thing that a lot of people were surprised about, and and I don't know that they should be, was that the Rays didn't go out and address the catching situation, really. I mean, they've got Christian Bethencourt and Francisco Mejia, both guys who come to them with relatively high pedigrees. If you go back and research where they came from and how they were drafted, do either one of those guys have any fantasy relevancy for you at this point? Honestly, no. <laughs> I know that they have, you know, a nice background, but they haven't shown it, especially Mejia. And I was a really, I had high hopes for him for several years, but I'm not seeing it anymore. Uh, though he does, you know, he can break out, hopefully. We'll, we'll see. But I wouldn't draft either of them. Like, I just would stay away. <laughs> what, what do you think the, the Rays' philosophy is on that? I mean, they let Zanino go. Obviously, he had the thoracic outlet syndrome last year, and it's unknown you know, how well he's going to be able to play again. And obviously he was a power guy, but a defensive first catcher. It doesn't seem like either one of those guys is really a defensively minded catcher. They're known for their hitting skills, which haven't really materialized at the major league level. Do they have anybody at the minor league level there catching wise that they're, they're high on or what's their, what's their game plan? Do you think? I'm not sure. Historically, the Rays have had a hard time with the catcher position. Zanino was, I think, you could argue the best catcher they've had in years and years. I, I'm not sure. Um, I would have to check, but I don't think that that's a position that they develop well. Like, but they also struggle historically developing hitters in general. Mm-hmm. Like they're more a pitching focused, so that combination is not great. Like they have Blake Hunt in the minors, who took a step back since acquiring him in the Snell trade, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they have Rene Pinto, who got some starts last year. Uh, which Pinto's presence, like, and he did a, a little better offensively than Mejia, makes me think that Mejia might soon be out of favor with the club and might be a potential roster fringe or designated mm-hmm. for assignment. So I really would not feel comfortable taking him. But Bethancourt, I think, does have some more uh, upside offensively, though I'll say it's not good, and that's not something I feel <laughs> confident in saying. <laughs> but he yeah, has a little more power. <laughs> If you if you say it's not good, I'm going to take your word for it. I think like, <laughs> I think I'll cross them off my list. I I think in, a, in some two catcher leagues, I've been seeing Bethencourt getting drafted late in in drafts, and I think that there are some players who think that he has some upside, maybe it's some power upside at the very least. But yeah. those two catcher leagues are really a disaster. You know, you you it's really hard to f- kind of figure out what you do. What I've been trying to do, and I don't know if it's the right thing or not, is I've been trying to double tap around the tenth and eleventh round and and getting like. Stevenson, Kiebert Ruiz, guys like that mm. that I know are going to play that are not going to kill me, you know? So, right. so anyway, we're not talking about those guys. They're not, they have nothing to do with Tampa. Let's get out of there. 
One of the things that's really interesting with Tampa too now this year is that they've sort of quietly revamped their outfield situation, right? Mm-hmm. So it looks like, you know, Kevin Kiermeyer has gone and taken his injury act to Toronto. Jose Siri looks like a guy that's going to get a real opportunity on this team and has been somebody that I have some interest in drafting late. Can you talk a little bit about Jose Siri and, and what Tampa seems to project with him? And my question is, it seems like the the talent is there for him to maybe get in double-digit home runs and double-digit steals. What's your take on Jose Siri? I'm very excited about Siri, though I loved Kiermaier, so it was tough to see him go. <laughs> yeah, he's a good fit for Toronto, but that's a, another podcast for you. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Siri's got the power. He has really good hard hit rates, and they're consistent throughout his career. He's just going to strike out a lot. Like, that's the thing. He's going to strike out a lot, and he's not going to walk a ton. But he is really fast, like you said, so... I think that he will be a stolen base threat. I think he can get 20 stolen bases easy, especially with the big bases. Mm. But I'm not confident about like double digit or I'm not confident that he hits like close to 20 home runs. I don't know if okay. he's a 20 candidate. Even in his minor league career, he only had more than 20 home runs once and it was mm-hmm. in low A. So I just yeah. don't, I don't see that happening again. I think he's more like 10. <laughs> Thank you for shattering my belief. No, I think I think for where he's going, though, that he he has the potential to be able to provide some value to players. Whatever you decide the word value means for the folks listening out there. But if you could get ten home runs and twenty steals late in the draft as your sixth or seventh outfielder, I think Siri is a really good player there. Definitely Um, not not on the list. Follow up on outfield, Manny Margot. What do you Mm -hmm. think about him and and, and how they plan to use him this year? He seems like he's always been a guy that has been a perpetual, you know, want to be, you know, you want to love him and you do love him when you see him, but then he don't see him enough. Yeah, I think he's a platoon bat, which might hurt a bit. Uh, He's good versus left-handed pitching, which you don't Mm -hmm. see as much. So that's part of it. But he's a really good line drive hitter. So again, maybe the shift helps him out a bit, but I think he'll be splitting time. Gotcha. Gotcha. How do you see people kind of battling the shift this year? I mean, it's been really interesting to kind of follow. We saw in some early games that they were moving around outfielders and things like that. Do you think that that's going to become more commonplace? I know you've researched this a ton. Yeah, I think it will. What the Red Sox did, I believe, was they put the left fielder in that shallow right field spot where they put like the, the triangle last year. Yes. I think that's going to be pretty common. I was surprised that they were the first and only team to really do that so far at the time that they did it. So, yeah, especially like at Fenway, like people, places with small left fields, I think, would be more common. But they could, if they have a good um, defensive outfielder like Siri or like Kiermeyer, like they could spread them out. They could do fun sure. things. Yeah, that's going to be really interesting to watch. I'm really kind yeah. of excited to see how people try to exploit the rule, you know, Definitely. while Rob Manfred is sitting there on his throne, you know, cursing. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure that he's going to say something about it not being in the spirit of the game in his typical Rob Manfred fashion. But. <laughs> Anyway, uh, one one player that I've been really interested in, Andrea, is Curtis Mead. And there's been a lot of talk early on about them signing him to a long-term contract. I'm guessing that that means that they might be thinking that he makes an impact on the team this year. Can you talk a little bit about who he is, how he profiles, and whether we should be looking at him as a late target or not? Sure. He's a, a corner infielder. And he is a highly regarded prospect. And the Rays, like I said before, like struggle with offensive abilities, and he has it. So I think that's part of the reason why they want to lock him up, because it's hard to acquire that, you know, not a ton of money at the free agent market, 
which is the only way that they have done in the past with like Logan Morrison and all those guys. But yeah, I'm really excited about Mead. He's got the power. He's exciting to watch. And the only thing is, I don't think they're going to bring him up until after the Super 2 deadline, mm-hmm. which would fall in like June, maybe, or early July. Uh, but he's got a really aggressive approach, which is not a bad thing necessarily, but his walk rates have never been so great. So it'll be interesting to see how he adjusts to Major League pitching. But he mm-hmm. did well in AAA, so I would value him as like a an everyday third baseman, like an average major league player. Okay, good to know. Because yeah. there's been a lot of hype around him, and they've been talking about him being a building block with Franco and Rosarena and those type of guys. And that the idea that I, I thought was, you know, when they, when they were talking about signing him now was maybe he would break camp with them if he was able to sign that contract, a la the mm. Eloy Jimenez, uh, Luis Roberts situation, like what the White Sox did where they bought those guys out a little bit early and, and put them on the roster. So one to watch for sure. Curtis Mead's getting a lot of hype down in, in uh, spring training this year. Um, who is a player in the minor league system right now for Tampa that you think has a chance to impact the roster this year? I'm going to say pitcher, right-handed pitcher Taj Bradley. Mm-hmm. I think he will make an impact, especially like just pitchers in general get hurt so much. And the Rays like always are using their minor league pitchers, like calling them up. And he's a top prospect. I think he might be their number one top prospect on MLB pipeline, but he's got a really good like four seam cutter combination above average control. So just like me, I think they'll bring him up like around the super two or maybe later. Mm-hmm. maybe September, but he's ready. So I think he can make some spot starts, especially if someone else gets hurt. It's amazing how they end up just, they just continue to churn out pitchers. I know yeah. it's incredible. <laughs> it, it, do you Philosophically, I mean, is that, is that something for them that they, they feel really strongly on, obviously just about the, Hey, we're going to draft as many good arms as we possibly can. And we'll figure out the bats later. Uh, I don't necessarily think that they target pitchers in the draft. I think that they, usually do like middle infielders or pitchers or just like that kind of route. But I think that pitchers, they don't need to take the best one. They could like develop someone into it just based on their like player development process, their amateur scouting. So yeah, I think it's less of a philosophy and more like this is something that our organization does very well mm-hmm. and we'll continue to do that. And then we could use those players to get bats like right. they did in the Joe Ryan trade when they got Nelson Cruz. Right. That's really interesting. You know, they, I think I read somewhere, and I could be wrong on this. I mean, 4,000 things floating around my brain at any one time. But I think I read Jeffrey Springs last year talking about his success and, and what why he was successful in, in Tampa. And he said, you know, they, they go back to the things that you did well when you were a really, really good player. And he was sort of implying that he wasn't a good player at the time. Obviously, he's an excellent player. You have to be an excellent player to make it to that level no matter what. But he was kind of insinuating that what the Tampa Bay Rays organization does is they just allow people to be who they are and go back to the time when they were successful and then kind of build off that, which seems really simple to me. You would think more people would be doing that, but they do a fascinating job of that. And I've always loved watching them from the beginning. I I think that they do an amazing team to watch. I love the idea of having pitching and defense being front and center. I'm old. I'm old school in that regard. So I like that idea, but they're really a fascinating team to watch. And I think that they're going to be pretty competitive this year again. Where do you see them finishing in the standings? I mean, the AL East is an, an incredible division. To make an argument really for any of those teams probably making the playoffs. Maybe yeah. not Baltimore. Maybe not Baltimore yet. But where do you where do you think they finish this year? Um, I have a lot of thoughts on what you just said. <laughs> okay, first of all, Springs is extra exciting this year because he has a new pitch. 
he has a sweeper that he's going to use versus left-handed hitters. And that was like a point of weakness last year for him. Not weakness, but he wasn't as good versus lefties as he was versus righties, which is weird because it's the reverse platoon. But so that'll make him even more intriguing as a starter. And I think up his value a lot. And then in terms of like their development, like, and just optimizing for the pitcher strengths, you're right. Like it's so weird that like teams, like something as simple as that. Like we see the pirates that just teach everyone sinkers. Mm-hmm. Like there are a lot of teams that do that. It doesn't make sense, but that's a whole other conversation in terms of the AL East. I think that it's really a toss up the top three spots between like the Yankees, Blue Jays and Rays. You could put them in any order. And I would say, yes, that's a perfectly mm-hmm. fine prediction. The Yankees are interesting because they're kind of falling apart right now. I feel like everyone sure got hurt. <laughs> So I think that is going to create an opportunity, especially at the beginning of the season, for really any of the other teams to like secure the top spot if one of them gets hot. And I think that any single one of them is capable, even Baltimore. Though I don't think Baltimore's pitching is as good as, as some of the other teams in the division. And the Red Sox, I don't even know what to make of them because <laughs> they have like they have some good bats. Their rotation looks good on paper, but I don't know what you're going to get out of it. Like with Sale and, and Pavetta and Paxton, like it can go either way. For sure. So I am not super down on them. I agree with you that like if things click, like any one of these teams can make the playoffs or make a playoff push at least. But I'm leaning towards like Blue Jays or Tampa in the first spot. That's, yeah, that's really solid assessment. I think, you know, there, anything could go there. I did get made fun of last week. I had the Glarf draft last week and I was, um, I'm I'm probably the worst player in the league, and I'm just really happy to be there. I'm really lucky to be in this room with some of those folks. But it was just really kind of a question, a matter of time, until I drafted Mondesi, and 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 <laughs> because I do it every year, hoping, hoping, and hoping, you know. And so I got made fun of pretty hard for that. It was later than what I usually take him at. So anyway, uh, well, one thing I did not think I would hear today, a name I did not think I would hear today, was Logan Morrison, and you pointed that out. So thank you for that. If you've been listening to the last half hour, we've been here with Andrea from at Scout Girl Report, who does incredible work on Twitter. If you're not following her, you really need to change that right now. You should be. She's got over 12,000 followers, but she should have three times that many, in, in my opinion. Her work is great. Even my family, who has nothing to do with fam- with fantasy baseball, was looking at her videos with me last night as I was preparing for the pod and said, wow, this makes sense. What you say doesn't make sense, Dad, but Andrea makes sense. So. Andrea, thank you so much for making time this morning to be with us and, and be on the Fantasy Baseball Beat with us. Can you tell us a little bit about where we can find your work and stuff that you got coming up on, on Fantasy Baseball? Sure. Thank you so much. That was all so kind, by the way. But you could find me on Twitter at Scalco Report. That's my main platform where I'm most active. But I also have a website, com, and a YouTube channel where I post like player breakdowns, like thoughts on roster construction. We go into like explaining an analytics topics, arbitration, things like that. Uh, very friendly. Like, no question is a dumb question. And I take suggestions from anyone who provides one. So I'm just trying to build like a, a friendly community where anyone could be involved, no matter how much you watch baseball or play fantasy baseball. Yeah. And I think you do a tremendous job of that. I hope, I hope that. One of these days you can get down to like first pitch Arizona or first pitch Florida as we can, we can all meet and hang out. Those are really fun times and the community is outstanding and really fun, full of really good people. But we thank you so much for being with us today. It was really a pleasure to have you on. We've been a huge fan of your work for a really long time and 
when Chris reached out to you and said he was trying to get you to come on, I was like, that would be a huge get for our little podcast. So we thank you so much for coming on and best of luck to you and your fantasy teams this year. And uh, we'll look to have you on again during the season sometime if you'd be willing to do that. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks.